you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And then we're going to go somewhere else. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now our carnal self will listen to this passage and say, Do what? We can understand glorying in God. We can understand the hope of the glory of being with Him and seeing His glory and the glory of heaven. But our carnal self hears we glory in tribulations. Preacher, you sure about that? Well, that's what it says, and so that's the truth. And sometimes we have to step away from our kind of carnal thought process and look at a bigger picture. Now, are the Lord's ways and thoughts much higher than ours? You bet. (laughs) Will you understand it fully? Not a chance. (laughs) But that which He's revealed to us in His Word, word, we are commanded to study and to internalize and try to apply. And so this says that we can glory in tribulations. Does that mean tribulations are fun? No. No, it doesn't say that. It says that we know something. We know that tribulation worketh Patience. God can work. He can produce in you and His child patience by putting you through tribulations. And as you have more opportunities to learn patience, as that works, experience. And then as you have more experiences, that works, more hope. And hope maketh not ashamed concept of being ashamed here is that you think something's going to happen and then it doesn't and you're shamefaced. You're embarrassed. You ever tell somebody this is what's going to happen and then it doesn't and you got egg all over your face and you look bad and your cheeks get flushed and you're all red faced. That's the shame of face. The hope that's centered on Jesus Christ and His work, those hopes, you'll never be ashamed. But how does your hope grow? Go all the way back to the beginning through those tribulations and then the patience and then the experiences of living through those tribulations and patiently waiting for the Lord to deliver and watching Him deliver. And then the next time you go through, you can wait patiently with more hope. Not only that He's promised not to leave you now, but that it's going to be so much better later. Okay? So this is, this is the idea that I want us to be chewing on today. And I want you to go back to Psalms and turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Short psalm, 17 verses. 
I'm going to give you a brief overview of this before we look at the text. Maybe that will be helpful to you. Sometimes I feel like I go straight into the weeds and maybe I lose you. So here's your big picture. Breaking down this psalm. It starts off with the writer, who's David, talking about a past experience, a past tribulation. And how did he go through it? Well, he was crying to the Lord and then waiting patiently. What happened? The Lord heard and delivered him. What did he do in response to that? He had a song of praise in his mouth. And he makes a statement of fact about those who trust in the Lord being blessed. Those who are not giving respect unto the proud and those that turn from lies. And then he sings a song of praise. There in the psalm, a song of praise about God's many wonderful works. And then it's going to shift and give you the prophetic voice of Jesus speaking. But you're just reading through that and you hadn't read Hebrews 2, you might miss that. Or Hebrews 10. We'll look at that later. But that's talking about Jesus and what He's going to come and do. And then the speaker declares that He's been faithful to declare what God's done. He hasn't hidden in His heart. He's been declaring His righteousness publicly. And so He requests the Lord, please don't withhold your tender mercies and your... Um, compassions now. I need them. They continually preserve me because I'm in another trial now. It's bad. I'm encircled by my enemies. Surrounded. That's his current situation. And not only has he got his enemies without, he's got his enemies within. His iniquities, his sins. They said there's so many it's more than the number of hairs on my head. And that's discouraging him. He's faint of heart. So he's talked about a a past experience where he's seen the Lord deliver him, where he waited patiently after crying to him. He was given a song of praise, and now he's in another bad situation. So he's got that patience that he's lived through. He's got that experience he's lived through. And now he's having to draw back on that and look for with hope that the Lord's going to come and deliver again. So he's begging for deliverance. He's crying unto him if it pleases the Lord. And he's making some specific requests. One, that his enemies would be shamefaced that you would defeat them, and that those who love you, that they would be able to rejoice. And finally, it comes back all full circle of recognizing His humility. Lord, I'm poor. Lord, I'm needy. And yet I know that you still think about me. Come be my help and save me. That's your 10,000 foot level of this psalm. Y'all hear that pattern that we just talked about from tribulation and patience and experience and hope? The psalmist is living that out. It's not just a one-time thing. Oh, Lord, I got through that tribulation. Good, I'm past that phase of my life. (laughs) Right? It's going to come again and again in different form. Alright, so Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me, and He heard my cry. And he brought me up also out of a horrible pit and of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. All right. 
I waited patiently. There's the prayer. There's the crying out. And then almost inevitably, there's the waiting. I don't know about you, but it has not been my experience that God doesn't operate like Uber Eats. Right? You put the order and then it shows up. Right? Can't request the appointment time. There's a waiting. And what we're doing there is learning to wait patiently. Right? Learning to wait patiently. So this psalmist is in a situation. He's in a trial. The appropriate action is to cry unto the Lord. Is that normally our default? Or is it to whine or complain or try and fix something that's really beyond ourselves? So he's doing right. He's waiting. He's waiting patiently. And sometimes we get a little jaded with God. Well, God, why do we have to pray to you? You know what I need. Guess what, folks? The prayer is not for God's benefit. It's for ours. So, He's our Heavenly Father, and we are His stubborn children. Right? How many of you have ever had a child who thought they could do it all by themselves? They did not want your help. They did not want your attention. They did not want your counsel. I mean, just stubborn. Versus the child who knows this is beyond me. Parent, I need help. I need wisdom. I need guidance. I need all the things that you have that I don't. How often are we that first child who thinks we can do it all? But as we go and we pray to the Lord... It's humbling to us. We have to acknowledge, Lord, you know, and I don't. That's hard to do. At least in our pride, it's hard to do. You, you really, it, you can't pray to the Lord in pride. All right, it's a, it's a, it is a big hindrance. All right, because when you're full of pride, you think, I don't, I don't need any help. But if we're to become as children in our walk, it's going to our Father, Lord. This is beyond me. I need your help. I need your wisdom. Lord, I think this is what I'm supposed to do, but what do you think? Right? Say it's not a small child anymore. Say you're a teenager, right? The child is a teenager, which is a better example for us to follow. The obstinate one who knows it all. Y'all ever been 18 and knew it all? Turn 25. Your parents knew a whole lot more than they did seven years ago. Right? But so often when we treat, talk to God... We act like we're that 18-year-old hothead who knows it all. I don't want to listen to you. Versus, I need your counsel. What do you want me to do? What is your will? What would please you best? Right? Why are we praying to God? We're going to seek Him and to seek His face and reframe often our misguided notions. Um, Here's a visual for you. When we think that we can handle it all and we don't need God's input, it's the same experience as if you have a toddler come up to you with this set of toy tools and say, I'm going to go rebuild the World Trade Center. <laughs> Do what? You don't have the skill, the means, the wherewithal. You can't even fly by yourself. How are you going to get up there? Right? 
you can't read architecture plans, you're going to build a skyscraper, my three-year-old child? And yet that's how often when we go and tell God what we're going to do, instead of, Lord, I know, you know what's best. Show me what's best. Show me the one little piece that you want me to do next. You don't have to explain the whole plan to me. I know that you don't have to. Right? Job wanted some answers, right? He hadn't signed up for all the persecution that he went through. He hadn't done anything to cause it. Right? He was just an upright man, but he had his whole world shattered and he wanted some answers. And what did God say? He's basically said, Where were you? When I made the world, where were you? Bubba, right? you weren't there. You can't explain it to me. You're not entitled to every answer. You're not required to understand everything that God does. Alright, so in our psalm here, our psalmist is in a bad situation. And he is crying out to the Lord and then he's waiting. Waiting for an answer. What does it say the Lord did? He inclined unto me and heard my cry. That inclined really means to stretch out, to reach, or to bend. I want you to think about this. You ever had a, a small child and you're trying to take them swimming? Right? Learning to swim. That child gets two feet, two and a half feet, however long their little arms are, get about six inches farther than that from the parent. And the parent lets go. And they're floundering. It's too far for them to reach out. Water splashes in their eyes. They can't see. Now they're blind. Water gets in the mouth. Now they can't breathe. Their head goes under. What is this child thinking? I'm going to drown. I'm dead. I'm a goner. Dad, don't you love me? And what did that parent have to do? Just reach out. Did that, did that parent ever go away? No. Is that child still really scared? Yeah. Is he scared more time the first time it happens? Or after dad's picked him up again and again and again. I know my daddy loves me. I know my daddy's not going to let me drown. I know my daddy's right there. So yeah, I'm not enjoying this process where my head's underwater, but I'm not going to be destroyed. My father's still right there. That's the idea. Is that when you go to pray and you're so far under your, oh, you know, the water's over your head, yeah, it may be over your head, it's not over God's. And it doesn't change His care for you and His love for you or His power. Right? You can't get farther than His reach. That's like trying to pluck yourself out of His hand. Right? Jesus said that all that the Father giveth me are, are mine and thine are mine. Right? And they're all safe in His Father's hand. You can't do it. You can't get farther than He can handle. Okay? So, when you're recognizing, I'm in distress and I'm crying out and I'm waiting patiently, it's just a matter until the Father... Plucks you up. Right? Trusting in His love so you can patiently wait because you know who He is and His character and what He said about you. That tribulation, or patience. And then when you survive that one, you've got another experience that you can draw on later. It's not that Daddy's never saved me before. Daddy saved my tail over and over and over and over and His love for me doesn't change. Alright. So he's he's been there, he loves me, and he's strong enough to deliver me. Okay. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Does a loving father hear the cries of their children? Yes. 
Absolutely. And in his good time, he brought me up out of a horrible pit. That horrible means ruinous, desolate, destruction. All right? I couldn't find a time where David was literally chunked in a pit. He's had a lot of bad experiences, but this language is a metaphor. This is describing, there was some other bad situation, but it was like, you ever dug a real deep hole? You ever fallen down in that deep hole and can't get out? That's the idea. Is this, this pit, you know, whether it's a dungeon or whether it was one of those cisterns, you know, you dig a big, big hole and you fill it up with water. Well, this one wasn't full of water, but the bottom was full of gushy, gunky clay. You ever tried to walk in clay or a swamp? What happens to your boots? You lose them, right? Now imagine trying to exist in that. You can't sit down. You just sink. You can't find a good place for your footing. So you're all constantly, you know, depending on how wide this pit is, either about to fall on your face in the mud and clay or slam into the side of the wall. You can't grip the sides. There's nowhere to get out. Does this sound like a lovely situation? No? Sounds terrible. It's a, a terrible pit. That's where he was. Where was he waiting patiently? In the pit. Lord, it'd be nice if I could wait patiently in the air conditioning in the lobby rather than in the midst of the trial. I'd have a much easier time waiting on your time if things were comfortable. Sometimes the Lord's going to leave you in discomfort. It's waiting in the pit. But what did the Lord do? So out of that miry clay, out of that bubbly clay, He lifts you up. And what did He do? He set my feet on a rock. Saying about a rock of ages, right? What is the sure footing that He puts you on? Jesus Christ, right? That's the only rock, right? Anything else that you try to build your life on, base your life on, and moving forward and say, this is what I'm going to do and this is going to keep me secure, if it's anything other than Christ, you have chosen quicksand. It may look crusted over and hard and secure, it's not. He lifted me up. Notice he's the actor, right? He brought me up. He set my feet on a rock. And that word rock there uh, literally has an idea of being like a craggy place for a fortress. Where do you build a fortress? You want to put it down where it's level and easy to attack? No, high up on the cliff, right? Make it hard to attack. Well, that's Christ, right? High on a solid rock. He's lifted me up out of the gunk into heavenly places with Christ, right? He's brought me up. He set my feet there, and He has established me. Established my goings. All right, to establish, He has set me upright. All right? And my goings is going forward. All right? So this is a three-dimensional picture for God showing you the path of righteousness. All right? If I'm walking upright and I'm walking the straight and narrow way, I won't fall off. If I'm walking the straight and narrow way, I'm going the right way, but I'm leaning. Let me lean towards this thing that's wrong over here. Well, let me lean to this bad attitude over here, right? Eventually, what am I going to do? I'm going to veer off that way. Or worse yet, if I don't even start there at all, I'm just, right, walking right off the cliff, right? He's the one who sets it up. What do you determine is upright and pure and righteous? It's according to Him, right? Christ is our chief cornerstone, right? That's the building... Term for if you're going to make your, your building square and straight, you build off a cornerstone that's right and square. Christ is the only one that's right and square. This is how you look at that. You look at His Word and see what does God say? 
and then implement that. If you're using any other standard, particularly if you come up with your own, because your own standard is going to change depending on the wind of the day. Right? What's easier? Right? What's his standard? Use that. Okay? So he is lifting me up out of that trial. Right? This is all past tense. We haven't gotten to the psalmist's current situation. This is just what he's done. He lifted me up. He set me on a good way. He set me going forward. And he put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. How many times has the Lord delivered you? And we failed to follow through with praising Him. Shame on us. Y'all, we have something to praise God about every single day. And that's just the, the daily stuff. Sometimes He delivers us from things that feel big to us. Now to Him, are they that big? No. Biggest work was the work of Christ. That was the biggest deliverance. And so you have that every day to praise Him. And yet we are cheap with our praise. No excuse for it. Bless, uh, he put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And that word song there means a laudation. That's a fun word. That's where we get the word applaud. Right? Laudation. You know what a hymn is? A hymn is a song of praise and adoration. I love and adore you. That's why we sing hymns. Hymns should not sound like funeral dirges that are so sad and depressing because we have no hope or joy or whatever. That's how we're singing every song. Now, some songs, I get it. There, there, there's messages within the songs that we're trying to focus on different things. But every song you sing should not sound like that. Most of our hymns are songs of praises, of Look how great our God is! And we need reminders of it because we forget. We have the attention span of a gnat sometimes. So we come back to refresh ourselves. Oh yes! He is great. He's a song of praise. Alright? So that's what He's done. I was in this terrible trial. I cried unto Him. He answered my cry in His good time. He set me in a better place and established my goings forward. I've got a song of praise in my mouth as I'm going now and what's happening around. Others have seen it. He has used my trial for a witness for others. Others, Many shall see it. And what's their response? And they shall fear and trust in the Lord. Now that fear is not, I'm afraid He's going to squish me like a bug. This is, this is reverence. Good definition for reverence. Deep respect and admiration. Do you have a deep respect and admiration for your Heavenly Father today? It's probably not deep enough. right? Mine isn't deep enough, but to fear, to revere, to love. When you see the Lord carrying somebody, one of His children, through a terrible, terrible trial, and you're able to see them patiently waiting, and then see that answered prayer, and then see that song in their heart, what does that make you do? Love the Lord even more! And put your trust in Him even more. Because He's worthy of trust. You've seen. So it's not just you. Right? These uh, tribulations and hope and ex experience. Patience and experience and hope. You, The church has an impact on each other. God's ways are higher than ours. Okay? So fear and to trust. And that trust word means to flee for refuge. Where do you flee for refuge? 
Is it to God? Or is it to something else? If you're looking for any other source as a refuge in trials, well, let's just put it this way. You've chose a sorry substitute. Whatever it is. So those around through this trial will see they'll fear the Lord more, they'll trust in the Lord more. And then he has a statement of fact. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. If you're trusting the Lord, if you are saying, He's my refuge, He's my hope, He's the one that I flee and turn to, He says, You're blessed. Blessed. Oh, how happy. Supremely blessed. That's a really good thing. As opposed to one that respecteth the proud. Blessed is the man. So you've got three things going on here. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. The Lord is my refuge. He's my trust. Him alone. And respecteth not the proud, nor respecteth such as turn aside to lies. Okay? The word proud there means insolent. means conceited, haughty, rudy, rude, saucily. That's a fun definition, right? You ever been around a personality that's so big and so demanding, whatever, and it just wants to pull you along with it, but there's just their, their pride and presence about it, right? That's not who we're to follow. We're not to be swept away in that. Right? That's the cult of the personality. Y'all, that's just, this is what our political system is eat up with right now. Okay? If you're following someone whose persona is based on pride and lies, you're being led astray. Right? If you think blank, whoever it is, I don't care who you fill in the blank with, if you think blank is the only solution to solve this country's problems, you're not trusting in the one who actually can. Right? It's not in so-and-so we trust. Right? God's the only one that we can trust in. Everyone else is sinking sand. Am I telling you how to vote? No. Am I telling you you need to make godly and wise decisions when you vote? Yes. Right? If you expect there to be godly decisions coming out of whatever level of politics you're thinking of, if you're not voting for the most godly person that you see, what do you expect? Why are you expecting different results? All right. Off my soapbox there. Apologize. Try not to talk about that at all, but... Well, let's be frank. If I don't tell you what the standard in Scripture is, I'm not doing my job. You have to go and apply it in your life. But this is the standard. You're blessed if you're trusting in the Lord and you're not putting people who are full of pride and following pathways of lies as leaders in your life. Right? If you're being a respecter person, you're saying, this is someone worthy of following after or listening to and they're manifesting these traits of being full of pride and leading down paths of lies, you're making a mistake. Whatever it is, business world, marriages, you're dating somebody, all right? Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. You know, the, the one who turns aside to lies will say, well, the ends justify the means. It doesn't matter how we get there. It doesn't matter what we have to do as long as we get to a good result. Y'all, that's not our standard. Right? You do what's right. No matter what. Period. Full stop. So he talked about a song of praise. And then here, mid-psalm, he gives a song of praise. Many, O Lord, my God, O Lord, my God, many are thy 
Wonderful works. Wonderful works. Wonderful is uh, it's difficult. It's miraculous. It's um, things that we can't do. Right? And that many, that's, that's a huge volume. Right? When was the last time you thanked the Lord? Just with the sun coming up. I mean, something that we just take so much for granted. How is all creation sustained? By Him. Every day. Folks get really distressed about the existential threats to our planet, right? Without God's doing it, this planet is not going to be destroyed. In fact, He told us how it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be burned up. Who's going to be the catalyst? Him, right? Because this is not our home. We have a better place that He's prepared. All right? Many, many, O Lord my God, are Thy wonderful works, which Thou hast done. You've already done them. They're many. Right? And thy thoughts which are to usward. That word thoughts, um, Strong uses the words contrivances. That has kind of a negative connotation, but here, here a definition of that. The use of skill to bring about something or create something. That's another way of saying that God's thoughts and ways are higher than yours. He's a sovereign God. And He can lead things in the way that He desires them to go. He has many thoughts towards us usward. So much so that they can't be reckoned up in order unto thee. To rack it up in order. To try and put them in rows. All right? If you're in the military, you got all right, put them in columns and rows. Right? Why you do that? It's easier to count. you got groups of 50s, groups of 100s. If you tried to do that with God's thoughts and works... You can't, right? Anybody finished counting the stars yet? Hey man, that was a long time ago. You ain't finished counting? Much less all of his other works and thoughts towards you. You can't. He says, if I tried to count them up and arrange them in order, I couldn't. I couldn't speak to them. They're more than can be numbered. Do you have something to praise God about today? Yeah. Even in your trials. Even in the pit, even in the miry clay, there is a lot to praise God for. Verse 6 starts off with, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Okay? In one sense, this this is going to be the passage that's going to be fulfilled by by Christ and speaking to Christ. But let me look at it in just a slightly different way first. Sacrifice and offering. There is a pattern in the Old Testament of those who would put forward, yeah, we're going to do this sacrifice, but I'm going to disobey God and do it however way I wanted to. And the lesson from that is that obedience is far better. Right? Saul had to learn that lesson. Saul had been given clear instructions. These people God is bringing judgment down on and they are going to end. Period. Full stop. Every single one of them, all their stuff, they are to be destroyed. Saul went in. He destroyed all the people, except for the king, high political prisoner. And they killed all the bad stuff. right? All the, the cattle everything. But the good stuff, well, they kept it. Right? And Samuel has to come on and say, 
And he goes up to greet Samuel, prophet, right? You don't lie to a prophet. It's like lying to God. It doesn't go very well. He says something to the effect of, Behold, I've obeyed the Lord. Samuel says, Why do I hear the cows mooing? They're supposed to be dead. And he had to address that. Of that, you know, because Samuel tries to say, well, or Saul tries to tell Samuel, well, uh, we saved the best stuff because we're going to sacrifice it to God. We're going to have this show of religion to God. And Samuel says, obedience is far better. All right? You're being rebellious. To be rebellious is to say, God, I know better than you and I'm going to do it my own way. You know what he equates that to? The sin of witchcraft. All right? We tried to call up evil spirits and speak to the dead you think oh that's terrible you ever been rebellious to God oh that's terrible alright and there's several other examples that we could look in in Jeremiah and Hosea but that's the general point is that your religious show doesn't impress God I'm going through the religious motions but in my life I'm not obeying you you don't get partial credit you don't get participation award. Give your life, all of it, to the Lord. Not for show, not for hypocrisy. Alright? So let's go to Hebrews 10 and unpack these verses briefly. Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Context is talking about how the Old Testament ceremonial law was just a pattern. It was a shadow pointing to something better. Even the Old Testament covenant, it was a pattern pointing to something better. Chapter 10 verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come. Not the very image of the things. It wasn't the best of the best. It's just pointing to the best can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. They had to sacrifice bulls and lambs and goats. They had all these rules they had to complete and they had to do it over and over and over and over. He said those can never make you perfect. Why? Because if they could, they would have stopped. It was just a continual pattern. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because if the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins, that if you were pure purged from your sins, you wouldn't have to continue the ritual. Well, the ritual didn't do anything other than pointing to that which is real. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance, again, made of the sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he saith into the world, he's quoting Psalm 40 right here, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not. But a body thou hast prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast no pleasure. All right, so back in the psalm it says talking about opening the ear. Here it's explaining that is talking about the body that Christ has been prepared. He's going to come down. He's going to become part of this world as the God-man. That's what it's pointing to. Not those sacrifices of the bulls and goats. They couldn't do anything. They didn't please God, but rather it's what's going to happen with this body, right? In the burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, I had no pleasure. Verse 7, it says, Then lo, I come. Who's the I? Jesus. I come, and the volume of the book is written to me, to do thy will, O God. All right? He's come to obey 
the Father's will, and that was going to be to lay down His life for His people as the perfect sacrifice, the one that only had to be done once, and then it was finished, right? Above when He said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, thou wouldst not, neither hast thou any pleasure, which are offered by the law, the old. Then He said, Lo, I have come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that He may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And so, you know, back in David's day, he's writing this. He's inspired by God. He's a prophet. But I guarantee you, he did not understand fully what this was going to do. And that's part of the blessing that you have. You have something to praise God. You get to see the mysteries that are revealed. The prophets in the Old Testament, they were wanting to know about the Christ. Wanting to know what manner would be. And everything that he did was so much better than they could perceive or imagine. You know, even the best religious leaders in Christ's day, they completely whiffed, right? They saw all these prophecies about what the Christ was going to be like and they just flat out missed it. But you have it plainly laid out. Most particularly through Paul's writings where he said, this was a mystery. Here it is! That Christ died for all His people, Jew and Gentile alike. There's one family of God that He was victorious and there's nothing that anyone can do to defeat the work of Christ. Do you have something to praise God about today? Amen. Yes! Okay. Go back to Psalm 40. Alright. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Alright. So going back to thinking this as the psalmist rather than speaking of this as Jesus' words. We know that Jesus came. We know that He did delight to do the Father's will even when it cost Him very life. He had to lay down. That was his father's will. He's there in the garden praying, Lord, if it's possible, take away this cup. But ne- yet, nevertheless, not mine will, but thine. He came to do the father's will, which to deliver his people. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Alright. Do you delight to do the Lord's will? We claim to be followers of Christ. One who follows Christ should do what he does. And if he is willing to put the Father's will as the first and foremost thing in his life, even at the cost of his life, that shows he put very high regard on the Father's will. Do we? Or do we try to say, God, well, I appreciate what you did for me but I'm really going to do it my own way. And I'm going to pray to you that you'll let me do it my own way. And as long as you don't throw up a major roadblock and put a gun to my head to stop me, I'm going to keep doing it my own way. And we chuckle because it's true. God shouldn't have to put a major roadblock in our way to stop us from doing that which is wrong, which doesn't please Him, which doesn't put Him first. Can He? Yes. Does He have to? No. Sometimes he'll let us have the way that we want and he's going to teach us through the chastening. Because if he loves you, he's going to chasten you like a good loving father. And guess what? Chastening ain't pleasant. Do I delight to do that will? That word delight means to incline. Do I bend towards it? Am I pleased to do it? Or if I do try to follow the Lord, is it begrudgingly? Is it through gritted teeth? You ever told somebody to go clean their room or maybe you're the one to go clean your room and you do it, but you got a real sorry attitude about it? Is that pleasing? 
Does that delighting to do the will of the one that you report to? No. Right? And we can look at that kid and say, man, I know that you should be having a better attitude. How often does us as adults treat God the exact same way? I delight to do thy will, O oh, oh my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Now, quick question. Where do you find God's will? Some people act like it's just this mysterious thing out there and you can't really know it. Maybe you need to... Can you know all of it? No. But has He revealed a good chunk? Yeah. And so if you delight in it, or think that you ought to delight in it, that's where you go. You go looking not, Lord, I want to check this box of doing this reading because that's what I'm supposed to do and let me get it over with and maybe, you know, Brother Jonathan, if he asks me what I've been reading, I'll have something to say and I can get him off my back. Right? Those are sorry reasons to read. But Lord, let me get into Your Word. Let me see what Your will is. Let me see what pleases You and then let me apply it. Even if you don't apply it perfectly. He can grow us through that too. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. That's the beauty of being born again. That the Lord has put His laws within your heart. That's how you know when you've done wrong. You may never read that chapter and verse by the Lord saying, yeah, that does not please me. But yet you know, child God, He'll, he'll, he'll convict you. He'll smite you. I don't mean smite as in dead, but as in prick your heart. That's part of His loving kindness too. All right, it's like applying the brakes to you before you drive all the way off that cliff and make things so much worse. The law is within my heart. But that is not an excuse not to read His Word. Right? I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not reflamed my lips. O Lord, Thou knowest. Alright, so here the psalmist is saying, I've boldly declared the good news of God's righteousness. I haven't, I haven't been timid. I haven't been shy. I have not hid Thy righteousness within my heart. Like, I know, I know the Lord's righteous, but I'm not going to say anything. No, I haven't done that. I boldly declared it. I have declared Thy faithfulness and Thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. I don't know how to talk to people about God. I don't know what to say. Have you talked about His faithfulness? Have you talked about His salvation? Have you talked about His loving kindness, about His truth? Are all those worthy topics? Are all those that you should be intimately acquainted with, both in your experiences and in the Word? Yeah! Here we're talking about a sin of omission. All right? What about Brother Joel Reagan? Let's just pray about sins of commission and omission. All right? Well, sin of omission, you're omitting to do something. You need to be declaring and giving the praises and sharing what great things God has done for you. And in terms of talking about His salvation, His rescue, His deliverance, his faithfulness, how He doesn't change. His loving kindness, His beauty and good deeds and kindness towards you day after day after day because you deserve it. No, in spite of me deserting. In spite of what I deserve, right? And His truth. 
His stability and trustworthiness. What are you to be pointing people back to in every conversation? Him. I don't know how to help you, but I know how to talk about the one who can. That that takes a lot of us as our little three-year-old selves with our plastic tools ready to build a skyscraper in someone else's life. Let me tell you how to do it. I don't know how to do it. But I can direct you and tell you about someone who does and someone who can handle it. He says, I haven't hidden those things. I've declared them. This little light of mine, right? Don't let my light shine. Don't hide under a bushel. Y'all don't play with candles and you don't put them under bushels. How about this? Don't put duct tape over your headlights. They ain't good to you. They ain't good to anybody else. If the Lord has given you this light, which is His light, His glory, His goodness, let it shine! It's dark outside. You want to see your roadway clearly? Look at the light. You want to be a good example for those around you and behind you? Let your light shine. Okay. Our preacher talks about duct tape. Alright. Now, verse 11 gets to some requests. Lord, withhold not thy tender mercies from me. He says, don't take away your tender mercies. O Lord, let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. Well, one, this is a recognition of how am I being preserved? By your truth and your loving kindness and your tender mercies. Day by day by day, Lord, please don't take them away. That's a recognition of your need for Him. When do we get in the most trouble? When we think we can do it ourselves. Right? We think we've got our own power, we got our own stuff, I've got the tools that I need. I don't have to worry about God right now. Right? I'll, I'll, I'll check in on Him Sunday make sure He's still doing well, but for right now, I've got it. Withhold not thy tender mercies, thy loving kindness, and thy truth. Thy truth, thy stability, your trustworthiness, these are the things that continually preserve you, not the illusions of whatever you think is holding you up. Alright? Why do I need you to continue? He says, because I'm in a bad situation. Things are rough for innumerable evils. That's a lot. Have encircled me, have compassed me about. Evils without. Plus, evils within. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, and therefore my heart faileth me. Googled it. Average person has about 100,000 hairs. I bet I got a whole lot more iniquities than that. But sometimes we just try and limit it to the Lord. I'm confessing my sins to you. Here's the three or four I'm happy to talk about. We don't want to deal with the rest. And then sometimes you become so weighed down with them you can't even lift up your head. Right? That old publican who's praying next to the, the Pharisee and he just bows his head, can't even look up, smiting his hand on his breast, says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a good prayer. That's an acknowledging of truth of your condition and going to one who can show mercy. Mercy is not giving you the wrath that you deserve. Right? Be merciful to me, a sinner. Innumerable evils had compassed me about. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole army around me trying to physically kill me. Right? David dealt with that. 
literally had humans who were trying to take his life. That I can speak safely and say that's not the experience for most of us. All right, and so it may be tempted that, well, I don't have enemies circling me. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And these are things that sometimes we don't like to think about. Sometimes it's hard to think about. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in yourself. No, be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. His might. Strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of yourself. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand. Stand fast against the wiles of the devil. Wiles, that's a funny word. Remember that coyote chased by a roadrunner? Oh, that way chasing the roadrunner? Wily coyote, right? He was tricky. Had a lot of schemes. Often his didn't turn out so well. That was a lot smarter. But there are schemes against the traducer, the evil one, Satan. You need to be able to stand in the Lord's strength and the power of his might by his armor against the wiles. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That means, as you're battling in this world, your enemies is not other humans. Love the Lord thy God with all your soul, strength, mind, body, everything you got. Love your brothers and sisters as much as Christ loved you. And love your neighbors, including your enemies, even as much as you love yourself. That's a whole human race. However, we have someone that we wrestle against that's outside that category. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Satan and his ministers of darkness, those that work for him, are your enemies. It's not something you want to think about. But in a sense, you're always surrounded. And they're laying traps and snares, ones that are enticing and appealing to you. Right? This thing about temptations, they're personal. Right? You don't pick somebody else's temptations to lay a snare. They, they choose one that can lay for you. And so you have to stand fast against them, but it's not in your own power. It's not in your wisdom. It's not in your cleverness. Who are you crying out to? God, right? Who are you recognizing as that Father who's still right there? He's got you within arm reach. You can't get farther away. He's not going to let you drown. He's not going to let you fail. Is He going to lose any of His children? No. But the evil is still there. Evil still exists. 
Satan and his workers. You, so in a sense, you are surrounded. Now, in a better sense, it's like that prophet who prayed for his assistant there to Lord open his eyes. And yeah, there was an army that was surrounding them, but there was a bigger army surrounding them, right? So you had a natural human army around that prophet and his aid. And then around that, the mountains were ringed with chariots of fire. Right? So the Lord is not deterred or distressed by your situation. But He's the one you got to cry out to. It's not, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it. I'm going to handle it. If I, just, if I raise up my own army and we all get on the same page and then we can... You can't. This is not a battle that you can win. And here's the fun part. The real battle's already taking place. Right? Satan is a defeated foe. Period. When Christ is on the cross, I'm sure Satan was having a heyday thinking, yeah! I'm winning! And then when Christ arose, it's, oh, I did not win! And now my time is very short. And even though I can't defeat what he's done, I can make these folks miserable. Discourage them. Make them poor followers. Right? So that's what he's got. He's got the, the mayhem model, right? I'm just going to cause trouble. Right? And so you have this picture here of being encircled by evil, and that, that kind of leads you over to uh, the end of the book in Revelation when the camp of the saints is completely encircled by all those outside of the family of God. And fire comes down and wipes them out, and then, boom, judgment. <laughs> You've got the throne appear. So, will you have evil around you? Yes. Is it stronger than you are individually? Yes. yes. But is it stronger than, than the one that you work for, that bought you, that is your father? And so, when you're equipping yourself, to battle and to stand fast. It means to not change the truth. right? Standing for the truth of who Christ is and what He's done. To stand fast against that, you take His armor. You can go read Ephesians 6 for a whole lesson on that. We don't have time for it. But I want you to think about when sometimes when we're reading these songs, we can think about, well, this is someone else's problem. Y'all, we're, we're encompassed around evil and we don't even realize it at times. We are encompassed, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. And would they like to distress me? Would they like to discourage me? Would they like to point out, look at all your flaws, look at all your sins. You can't be in God's service. You can't be one of His children. All these doubts that can flood your mind, right? So much so that you can't even look up. You just see all those sins. More than the hairs of your head. And yet if you are sustained by God's truth, you can battle against those because you know that Christ is successful. That that sin too, all of them have been paid for and paid in full. And they can't be laid to your charge again. So the Lord, I'm in this bad situation. I'm discouraged. I can't even look. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. I'm crying out again. And what am I going to have to do again? I'm going to have to wait patiently again. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, Make haste to help me. Lord, I, I appreciate it if you come quickly. <laughs> Even so, Lord, come quickly. Right? That's the idea. We don't, we don't know your timing, but we would prefer sooner. It's okay to ask for that, but don't be grumpy if he chooses to delay. 
Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. As for my enemies, let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be ashamed and confounded. Let them be just hindered. Make them look foolish. Those, you know, all these enemies and workers of Satan who would love to see you knocked down and not serving the Lord today, let them be ashamed. Let them see one more time. Nope. The Lord's got this. Let them be confounded that seek after my soul to destroy it. Now, can they can they destroy your soul? Worst thing they can do is kill you, and that's if the Lord allows it to happen. All right? Job was given, or Satan was given a long leash with how to hinder Job. Right? Everything down to his life, and that was not permitted. He lost his children and his wealth, and you know everything, even the respect of his wife. All the friends who had been friendly before, you know, he's got three guys show up, and basically they can say, "All right, Job, go ahead and tell us what you did wrong to deserve all this." And that was their comfort. But let all those that seek to destroy my soul, let him be driven backwards and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, "Aha." Aha is a compound word of lo and behold, or lo and alas. Look here. Oh, it just looks terrible, right? You can just hear the dripping sarcasm of your enemies. Oh, that is just so terrible, right? So let them be put to shame. And what's the end result of all those enemies anyway? They're going to be put to shame. They're going to be destroyed. It's all going to be in the Lord's timing. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, right? The Lord does as he pleases. Let him be pleased to deliver me. And then all those, let all those that seek thee, let them, here's my request, let them rejoice and be glad in thee. That's the end result. The Lord's enemies, shame and destruction and ruin and put away. And all those that seek him, all of his children, what's the end result? Rejoice. We're going to be glad. And this is in eternity. There's going to be eternal gladness. Not marred or hindered by the least little thing. But they're glad in Thee. Those that are seeking Thee, Lord, Father, let all those that seek Thee rejoice and be glad in Thee. Let such as love Thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Do you love the Lord's salvation? If you love the Lord's salvation, here's what His praying. He says, Let those people... Declare that the Lord God should be magnified. Magnified means large. You ever had somebody talk down to you and make you feel very, very small? You ever talk about somebody and make them sound small or insignificant? They don't even matter? This is the exact opposite of that. I'm talking about someone who is, is large and worthy of praise and honor and esteem. Let him be magnified. The Lord be magnified in my life. Let me think that. Let me hold him in my, my mind and my esteem in such high regard. If I delight to do his will, I should care. Right? Let me hold the Lord up. Let the Lord be magnified. And then it ends with coming back to me. Not let me be magnified, but I am poor 
I'm lowly, I'm depressed, I'm, 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 I'm humble, I'm pushed down, I'm needy, I'm in want. I can't do it on my own. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Wow. The Lord thinks about you. And not just in a passing glance. Y'all ever told somebody, yeah, I'll pray for you. Every chance I think about it. And then what? A week goes by, you may think once, maybe twice. You may be good think once a day. Maybe three times a day. I don't know. Can you count the Lord's thoughts towards usward? Without number, they're too big. And yeah, you're poor and you're needy. Does he discount that? Does he not care? No, he cares a great deal. He thinks about you. I am poor and needy, and yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. It's recognizing, Lord, you're the one I'm trusting in. You're the one who's able to deliver. Make no tarrying, O my God. Sometimes we don't internalize that. My God. A lot of folks want to make God very impersonal. Well, some folks may claim He's not even existing, but just, you know, the God, some force, whatever. No. My God. My God. And yours. One who thinks about you at all time. There's no limit to what He can handle. And He knows your situation. And He's told you to call out to Him. And then to patiently wait. And then as you waited, most times, I'm going to speak most times, not every time. Sometimes He'll answer, will be no. But most times, that tribulation will eventually end. And you'll be able to say, wow, hitherto the Lord has led me Another marker. You know, that Ebenezer stone. Say it down. Here's another spot the Lord's brought me to. I didn't think I could get there. On your own, you couldn't. And I've got another experience that I can draw from. I can praise God for and other people can see what a horrible time I went through and how I was able to go through it through Him and constantly pointing back to Him and giving the true source and credit. Sometimes we get through a hard time and I say, man, look what I did. Skin of my teeth, but I did it. Tribulations. Work patience. And then when you live through it, you'll have more experience of God's faithfulness, His trustworthiness, and knowing more about His salvation on an experiential level, not theoretical. Because if all you know about God is a theory, that's pretty miserable. If you don't know Him well enough to talk to Him as your Father, my Father... God, if it's not at that point, then it's still just a show. And that's the miracle of regeneration that it takes a God coming into you, the Holy Spirit coming and giving you spiritual life. That's a miracle. You've been created a new creature, one created unto good works to glorify Him. Will things be hard? Yeah. They're pretty much a promise. 
But are you going to go through it alone? Nope. He's always there. And he's designed his church for you to go through it with his other saints too. Rejoicing when others are rejoicing. Weeping when others are weeping. Part of the role. Part of his beautiful design. May the Lord be magnified. Thank you all for your time and attention.